Praise God. All right. How are we doing for that? Is that better? <laughs> very good. Very good. It would be very handy to have a third hand right now, but I will be okay with two. Hallelujah. Let me read to you from Psalm 127, which uh, speaks right into that whole aspect of what we're discussing here this morning. God's plan and God's purpose for families, for children. And uh, trust that everybody's got an outline on the crystal scriptures right there on the screen behind me as well. Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be defeated when they fight their enemies in the city gate or at the city gate. So uh, this is Old Testament scripture here, speaking of old cities and city gates and so forth. So don't get confused with some of that terminology. But let me just translate that to you into today's terminology, into, into, into today's setting. Certain things do not change. Uh, how do you know that the Word of God is really timeless? Number one, children are a gift from the Lord. All right, they're a gift from the Lord. Children are not a nuisance. They're a gift from the Lord. Uh, they're not accidents of nature. They're not the sum total of evolution. Right there, the Bible says that God has created children. Uh, all right. And in fact, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, that some people would have us believe that the monkeys that they have at the zoo here in, in Wellington and around the world, and even the wild ones, they're our uncles or they're our cousins. But I tell you what, these, these, these monkeys are not my cousin. They're not my uncle. I've been created by God. All right. Um, and so children are a gift from the Lord. Um, and... Uh, they are created by God and given to parents as a gift from Him. And as such, we need to appreciate the gift. Uh, and we need to change our mind if somehow our mindset has been different. Then secondly, children are likened uh, as to arrows in a warrior's hand. Uh, and of course, we are talking warfare back then was such that they would have bow and arrow. And uh, the, the, the warrior would go out into the woods and pick himself some straight uh, uh, branches off of some tree or something and cut it off and he'd start with a with this with a straight piece uh, he would knock off the lumps and the bumps he would he would put a tip on those arrows and then when he was completely finished having polished everything up so that and typically put on a sharper tip at the front and then he'll put it into the quiver uh, in uh, which was typically around his his back and so that's the language here that uh, the warrior would make great great effort in preparing and sharpening his arrows. And really parents, uh, as parents, we need to make a great effort in shaping and uh, sharpening the children's character, their personality, and to endeavor to bring out their gifts and their talents and their abilities. And uh, I'll come back to that thought in just a little while. Then thirdly, children, once they're grown up and shot forth, they will not be defeated. That shooting forth speaks of then uh, at a certain time, the warrior would reach over his back uh, and pull out that uh, that arrow and uh, and put it into his bow and he would shoot it forth. And, uh, you know, sometimes the direction of that thing flying, uh, as long as it's in, in his bow, he was able to somehow determine the direction as to where that arrow was going to go. But once it has left the bow, uh, no amount of hoping, no amount of... Uh, of uh, of anything would make any difference once it has been shot forth then the arrow is on its own and in fact I was just thinking uh, when I grew up uh, back in Austria curdling was a very common uh, kind of sport uh, recreation for a lot of the men there when it was too cold or too too snowy to do any kind of work so they would be down on the pond that had frozen over and they're out there curdling and I remember uh, my father was one to do that, and most of these guys, that uh, they would sort of take that little uh, stock, whatever you call that thing, and they would kind of line it all up uh, down the line. And once they, they, once that thing has left their hand, you know, they would stand there and they would do this and they would do that and they would do this and the, all the antics that you would see. But have you know that all the antics uh, make absolutely no difference to where that thing was going to end up? And so it is with our, with our arrows. You know, once that thing, once the, bo the, the arrow has left the bow, you know, all the antics in the world are not going to make, you know, the, the time to deal with children is when they're under our care and under our control and uh, when they're with us. Once you've shot them forth, of course, we pray for them. And of course, we're there to encourage them. And, you know, so the, at a certain point, that analogy falls down. But the reality is, whatever you put into them when they're young is going to keep them in good stead as they travel 
uh, down towards the target and uh, so that's kind of the thought here. Uh, and you know, in ancient times, when it says here that they were not defeated, uh, in ancient times, the city gate was the place where the movers and the shakers of society would meet, where they would make decisions. Uh, they were the trendsetters. They were the movers and the shakers. And that's basically the thought there. You know, today we might say, uh, uh, the, the, the gates at the city would be like the city hall or the city council or government where important decisions are made and these guys will get involved at that level and be right there as leaders uh, of society. Uh, they are the ones that will carry the authority. Uh, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, the children coming up there, the next generation of leaders. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, uh, it's like it's putting things off into the future, but really uh, all of our children are already at every stage, they're leading somehow by example. And we talk about an emerging generation. That's probably a better word. The children are emerging, and at every stage uh, they should be leading and they should be examples to others. And so really every good parent uh, desires to bring their children up a couple of points here, to be contributors to society rather than takers from society. Have you know that we have enough takers from society, but uh, God wants everybody to be a contributor to society. Really, it is a give and it is a take. It's giving and taking. It's giving and receiving. But if people only want to pull out and are not prepared to put anything in, society will fall down. Uh, and so we want to bring our children up so that they are contributors to society rather than just take us from it. And then, of course, we want them to be law-abiding citizens and influencers for good in their generation. Have you know that every leader that is functioning today, not all influencers for good. There's influences for bad, influences for evil, uh, influences for godlessness. And really, God has got a certain plan that our children will be influencers for good. Let me read to you three passages of Scripture here, uh, out of, uh, two out of Proverbs, one out of Malachi. Proverbs 14, verse 34 says that righteousness lifts up a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any society. It's interesting, but we got general elections coming up in three, week, uh, three months' time, approximately. And you know, sometimes in the middle of all the electioneering that goes on and all the politicking and everything, you know, people would have us believe that the economy lifts up the nation or that education lifts up the nation or a good health system lifts up the nation and all of these other things that they mention, they're all important, they all have their place. But the Bible tells us that righteousness lifts up a nation righteousness, uh, godliness lifts up a nation. Uh, a sin, it says, is a disgrace in any society. Then in Proverbs 11, verse 11, it says, a good influence of godly citizens causes a city to prosper, uh, but the moral decay of the wicked drives it downhill. Uh, so the Bible speaks there of a society and of a nation, then it speaks of a city. Uh, so what works at a national level works at a city and at a regional level, and actually it all begins in the home. If there's bedlam in the home, there will be bedlam in society, there will be bedlam in society. But if we can train uh, the children and have a godly uh, order and godly structure within the home, because really the nation uh, is all made up of families. All right. So it all begins in the home. Um, godly influence of godly citizens, uh, it says, causes a city to prosper, but the moral decay of the wicked drives it downhill. It's interesting, but morality, we don't hear that much from politicians. Uh, and if we do, they get shot down by the media pretty quick. So, you know, there is a, a, a lack of morality uh, that, uh, that we, we don't hear about it much. There's not much talk about it because people dare go there because if they do, uh, you know, somehow they get shot down pretty quick. Uh, we're talking about the marketplace and we're talking about areas of politics and so forth. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it says, You were united to your wife by the Lord. So this is now speaking about marriage. It's speaking about God bringing together a man and a woman according to his plan. It says, you were united by, uh, to your wife by the Lord in God's wise plan when you were married. The two of you became one person in his sight. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. All right, so this is God's plan bringing together uh, a man and a woman uh, to be united in marriage, uh, male and female, as God set it up way back in the beginning. Uh, and, uh, 
and, and to bring forth godly offspring, or as this translation says, to bring forth godly children. Uh, and as I said before, there's really much attack against the biblical unit uh, of the family. They are now proposing all sorts of shapes and configurations of, uh, of uh, family that are really for, for to, to, not just to the most part, but exclusively, if, if we speak uh, against this plane right there, then all of these other configurations are wrong, and this is the right one. How many of you know that the Bible says that, it says, let God be true and every man be a liar. Uh, so God wants godly children, he says he, he wants godly children from our union. And so how do we raise uh, godly children? Well, um, we start by dedicating them to the Lord, and we'll be doing that at the end of the service. And then thereafter, um, we train them in matters of obedience, righteousness, and morality. I was kind of intrigued when I was uh, preparing this message here for this morning, and I kind of wondered, uh, a thought came to me, it's like how many hours do our children spend at school? throughout their schooling years. And we're talking secondary, should I say primary and secondary schooling. Uh, so I had a little search around, and nowadays you can find most things uh, on the net. And uh, I'm kind of told uh, uh, that the average number of school hours for children per year is about 900, all right, depending on how old they are. In some instances, it's more like 850. In some instances, it could be 1,000. But 900 hours of instructional hours at school. Uh, and if our children are at school for 13 years running, you take an average of that, uh, so you multiply the 900 by 13, uh, and uh, the question, uh, should I say, or the, the answer to that uh, calculation would be approximately 1,200 hours of education. Um, let me start again. 12,000 hours of education, not 1,200. <laughs> okay, 12,000 hours of education at school. That's a lot of hours. And I'm not in any way suggesting that we should trim that down. I'm not in any way suggesting that there should be less or more for that matter. Of course, this is not even talking about then children growing up and going on to university or adult education and everything. The question that I would like to ask is how many hours of moral and behavioral instruction do our children receive? How many hours? Um, how many hours? <laughs> okay. Um, that's an interesting thought. Children, though they learn from observing and they learn by example, these things do not happen by osmosis. There needs to be firm instruction given to our children in regards to what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. When the warrior would go out into the woods and choose that branch for himself, in, uh, which he was going to shape into an arrow, if there was the slightest bump on that thing, if the, he would just shave it off. And, and the parents, can I encourage you, you see lumps and bumps on your children in their character and their personality, work on it. Just don't say they will grow out of it. Kids don't grow out of things. They are trained out of things. Um, Fathers, don't let your sons be rude to your mother, uh, to, to your wife rather, to their mother. Uh, don't let them be rude to, to their sisters, because if they're rude to the sisters and to the mother, then the man will grow up and he'll be rude to his wife. Um, mothers, don't let your, your children be rude to the father, because the father represents the authority in the home. Um, if it's okay for them to be rude to the father, then they'll be rude to every authority figure uh, in, in, in society, and ultimately they'll be rude to God, uh, kind of reject authority. As I say, it all starts like right there when they're like really young. And I remember when uh, my brother and I grew up, and I've got uh, four brothers, but uh, the one just up from me, uh, we were just forever out in the woods running around, and we would find that... Uh, that when we would choose, uh, uh, you know, sticks to make balls out of, we'd find that willow worked particularly well in that area that I grew up in, and uh, and we would sort of find some uh, some uh, some sticks that were as straight. You know, if you choose a crooked stick and don't deal to it, uh, if you put that arrow uh, into the bow and shoot it forth, if there is a crookedness on it, it'll just always do that. It'll always. You cannot get a crooked stick shooting straight. Uh, and there is crookedness in our children, and if you don't believe that, 
just don't do anything and let them grow up and you will soon find that there's a bend uh, towards disobedience, there's a bend towards being rude or one thing or other and these things need to be straightened out so once they're shot forth they will hit the target. And so we would find these sticks and I found that, uh, that at certain times we could, we could get, if we found a good sized stick and it had some crookedness on it, we kind of tied onto a, onto a, a, a straighter stick or onto a straight board or something if it was, if it was young and supple enough we would be able to straighten that bend out and we'll be able to have a straight uh, arrow on our hands. And so, um, have you know that if you've got a big tree, it's got a, a, a crooked bend on it. If it's a big tree, at that point, you try to bend anything out, it's too late. Um, but you know, when the, when the trees are young or these branches are soft and supple, at that point, uh, you can straighten things out and knock off the lumps and all the bumps. And so it is with our children. Parents, start young. Uh, as soon as you see the slightest thing of disobedience at any level, at any stage, that's where you start. Don't say, oh, well, we're going to wait until, uh, you know, the child's five years old. At five years old, you've given the child a five-year head start to have bad habits and bad behavior and bad all sorts of things. And at that point, it's going to be that much harder. So uh, train your children in matters of obedience, of morality, and behavioral instruction. Um, and uh, this is the point, and I've said before, that once the arrow has left uh, the bow, uh, at that point, when it's going to hit the target, very much depends on uh, how much time the warrior would, stand, would spend on just shaving off all the lumps and all the unevenness and polish this thing up and put a good tip on it. Uh, and so forth, that it would actually fly straight in this. I said before that once the arrow has left the bow, no antics on the warrior's part would make any difference. He could twist and turn and wiggle and, and do anything. It just make no difference. And so parents, the time to deal with our children is when they're in the home growing up with us. You can still encourage them once they're adults and uh, speak into their lives and so forth. But, uh, um, you know, when children grow up in our house, we are in control, the parents are in control. Now I know that might come as a surprise to some of you, you might say, well in our home the kids are in control, well that should not be, the parents should be in control, that's God's plan. God's given the children to us, we are in control, we determine what's okay and what's not okay, uh, not the kids. And I know that there is this philosophy, just let the kids do whatever they like, eventually they will find their way. Well let me tell you, they will not find their way, they need strong guidance. Uh, from their parents. And so here in uh, Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. That is basically saying the same thing all over again that we have just described uh, in that example of a bow and arrow and so forth. Train the child when they're young and when they're old they will not depart from it. If a warrior shoots forth the arrow that he spent time polishing and preparing and uh, shoots it in that direction and that's really the point that uh, the warrior determines where the arrow should go, parents determine where the children should go. Uh, okay, uh, and, 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 and so, and once that thing has been shot forth, if it's been prepared well, if it's a straight arrow, it'll not just have a, a mind of its own and decide that it'll fly down halfway towards its target and do a U-turn and fly back around. Arrows are not boomerangs, all right? And I know that boomerangs, you shoot that away this way, it'll come around, and it'll come back to you, but that's not the thought here. Uh, God likens uh, our children to arrows. So train up a child in the way that he should go, when, he will, when he's old, he will not depart from it. In the, the message translation, which is a kind of a, a modern translation, it says, point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. All right, so that's the thought here. And then it goes on to speak here in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This is specific instructions to parents. It says, parents, do not treat your children in such a way as to make them angry. So in other words, you know, it's like teasing the kids or just, you know, kind of just annoying them unduly uh, uh, and so forth. The Bible says don't do that. He says, uh, he says uh, uh, do not treat your children in such a way as to make them angry. Instead, bring them up with Christian discipline and with instruction. Uh, so giving children a Christian upbringing by training and instructing them according to God's word, it really means that they will become well-adjusted adults. Uh, once they get into adulthood, uh, they will know uh, 
the difference between right and wrong, they will be morally upright, as well as having the discipline to choose what's right. You know, most everybody knows what's right and what's wrong, uh, but requires Christian discipline to choose what's right. Uh, and uh, that's the whole point here of God instructing the parents. And by the way, when we dedicate our children to the Lord, um, we're not only praying for the children, we're also praying for the parents. Uh, because ultimately, uh, it's not a matter of like, if we can only fix the kids, they're going to be right. Well, actually, we don't need to fix the kids. We need to fix the parents. And once the parents are right, and once the parents' relationship is right, and once they know what God requires from us, then the, they will train the kids accordingly. Uh, and so in other words, you can't fix the kids without fixing the parents. How do you know what we're talking about? So... Um, our children, and that's the third point we talked about, dedicating our children to the Lord, which is going to happen uh, this morning, uh, then training them in matters of obedience and morality. That's going to take a little while. Um, and then right here, it speaks about the last point there. It says that the fact that our children ultimately need to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means to surrender our life to Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of our lives. Um, and... Um, what a tragedy it would be uh, if children were to grow up and not be guided by their parents uh, in regards to a relationship with God. Again, there is a philosophy where, you know, people say, well, don't brainwash your kids, you know, just don't, don't, don't train, just let them find their own way. 99% um, of the time, they will not find their own way. We need to guide them, we need to train them, we model a Christian lifestyle to our children, and we encourage them to develop a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, so that they will grow up in this way. Um, and of course, as I said, the pattern is dedicating them to the Lord and instructing them, training them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, when the children get old enough to get, come into the age of accountability themselves, then they should themselves choose Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives, not something that we kind of impose and demand of them. They need to find their own way, but in the meantime, we introduce them to the Lord and make sure that they will find their way. John chapter 3, verse 3, uh, Jesus answered, he says, I'm telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. I'm telling you the truth, Jesus replied. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. And so the Bible speaks there of a conversion experience, of a born-again experience that takes place once a person surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. Does it make any difference? Absolutely it does, because ultimately heaven is reserved only for people who have been converted by surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. That works for both adults as well as for children. Now I've got here... Uh, somebody's done a search on the history of a couple of families. Some of you heard this before. But let me read that to you again because it really describes what we are discussing here this morning. Uh, somebody has uh, um, found a family called the Jukes family uh, and done a search on the family history, on the whole family tree in regards to uh, Mr. Jukes that I don't know how long ago he lived. Um, and it says here that a careful search has been made into the history of one criminal family known as the Jukes. Uh, and it is a, con uh, a conspicuous, as a long record of pauperism. Uh, this other word I can't pronounce, uh, it just speaks of criminal activity there. Um, insanity, prostitution, drunkenness, and, and on goes the list. A total of 1,200 descendants have been traced of this prolific family tree. Some 400 of these were physically self-wrecked, 310 professional paupers, 130 convicted criminals, 60 were habitual thieves and pickpockets, and 7 murderers, while out of the 1,200, only 20 ever learned the trade, and half of these owed to prison discipline. Uh, <laughs> so what a tragedy that there's a family tree that uh, kind of just godlessness uh, right throughout. Uh, morality clearly wasn't taught. Obedience clearly wasn't taught, uh, wasn't demanded. And by the way, we don't suggest obedience to our children. We demand it from them. All right. Um, and so there's another family here called the Edwards family. Jonathan Edwards um, was an American theologian and a philosopher 
whose original sermons and writings stimulated the Great Awakening, which is basically a period of some 30, 40, 50 years in America, where there was a renewed awakening towards things, the things of God, towards religion and a relationship with God at a time when there was incredible godlessness. It says that Jonathan Edwards was the son of a godly home. His father was a preacher, and before him, his father's, uh, his, rather his mother's father was a preacher also. Trace the history of the, offspring, of the offspring of this godly man. More than 400 of them have been traced, and they include 14 university presidents, 100 professors, 100 of them have been ministers of the gospel, missionaries and theological teachers. More than 100 of them were lawyers and judges. Out of the whole number, 60 of them have been doctors, and many more authors of high rank and authors of journals. In fact, uh, almost every conspicuous American industry has had as its promoters one or more of the offspring of the Edward stock since the remote ancestor was married in the closing half of the 17th century. Now, if you can see, can see a little difference here uh, in between two families, and it all boils down that one of them wasn't just educated uh, in terms of education as important as what education is, but instructed in morality, instructed in righteousness, and instructed in obedience to God and so forth, and uh, just an entirely different outcome. So each time I read that, it kind of boggles my mind, uh, really. Um, and so let's quickly uh, look at a couple of examples of children being dedicated to the Lord. What does it mean? What, what outcome can we expect from that? Um, and why do we even have such a practice in the first place? Well, here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, there is a, uh, a woman by the name of Hannah who was at one stage um, childless. She was barren, unable to conceive. Uh, she went to the temple, she prayed, and to make a kind of a long story short, God granted her her prayer and gave her a son. In fact, he gave her more children, but the son in particular is, is in discussion here. And then she came back uh, when the child was weaned. Uh, she brought him back to the temple. Uh, the young child's name was uh, Samuel. Now, Samuel, of course, we recognize the name in the Old Testament because Samuel became a mighty prophet. He became a leader in his generation. In fact, at one time, he led uh, the whole nation of Israel, which was at that time not a democracy, but a theocracy. Uh, God would speak to Samuel. Samuel would instruct the people uh, and, and, and so forth. And, and under his leadership, the nation did pretty well. Didn't it say before that righteousness exalts a nation? Um, and uh, so this woman then brought the little boy uh, back into the temple and began to speak to Eli, who was the priest at that particular time. Uh, in verse 26 of Samuel 1, Hannah said to Eli, Excuse me, sir, do you remember me? I am the woman you saw standing here praying to the Lord. I asked him for this child, and he gave me what I asked for. So I'm dedicating him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he will belong to the Lord. Um, dedicating children to the Lord doesn't mean that we give them away. Uh, and actually, in this instance, she left them at the temple. So I don't anybody get the idea here that when you bring your children up here this morning, you're going to leave them here with me. That's just not going to happen, all right? <laughs> so we dedicate them to the Lord. Um, and that does a number of things. Uh, when we dedicate children to the Lord, when God gives us children, we are the authority in the lives of these children, not the government, not the school, not, not some <laughs> other groupings. The parents are the authority. When we come back to God and we say, Lord, we want to dedicate these children to, to you, that does a number of things. But first and foremost, it opens a door for God into the life of this child because we're the authority, we're opening that door and say, God, we're opening this door. We want there to be open communication. We want there to be flow of blessing from you into the life of this child. We want the favor of God on this child. We want this child not just to turn out reasonably good, but we absolutely believe in God for the very best possible scenario for the child to grow up and to be shot forth from this arrow, uh, rather from this bow called uh, godly godly family, and we want the kids to do well. And that's exactly what happened here. He's, it's, she said, as long as he lives, he will belong to the Lord. 
And then in Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, it says, The boy Samuel continued to grow and to gain favor both with the Lord and with people. So Samuel had been dedicated uh, to the Lord. Um, and it says here that he grew not only physically, but he also grew in favor and in grace with both God and the people around him. And if children are trained to be obedient, uh, if children are are trained to learn the pleases and the thank yous of life, then people will like them. Uh, You know, there's certain kids that I've sort of seen and met over the years. It's just, you know, you're kind of endeared to certain kids and others like you're just like, oh, let me just uh, let me just go over here. It's like uh, there's a bit of trouble brewing in that child over here. And uh, and I'm kind of reminded of the good old days. You know, as I said, there's no such thing as a child being born perfectly. There is an inborn kind of tendency to do their own thing. Uh, in fact, I've got something else here that, uh, you know, I'm kind of bouncing around a bit. Just bear with me. But uh, I, ca- I came across this, uh, this uh, write-up here where somebody described what we're talking about here in terms of children coming from God and uh, with kind of an inborn problem. Uh, This has been put into computer language. Once again, some of you have heard this before, but uh, it really describes what we are talking. It it starts out with the heading, it says, important recall notice. I mean, sometimes cars get recalled and different products get recalled because they're unsafe. Well, important recall notice. It says the maker of all human beings is recalling all units manufactured regardless of make or year due to the serious defect in the primary and central component of the heart. This is due to a malfunction in the original prototype units named Adam and Eve resulting in the reproduction of the same defect in all subsequent units. (laughs) This defect has been technically termed subsequential internal non-morality, or more commonly known as SIN, S-I-N. Some other symptoms are as follows. Lack of direction, foul vocal emissions, confusion regarding origin. Hello? Isn't that what's happening today? (laughs) Lack of peace and joy, selfish or violent behavior, depression or confusion in the mental component, fearfulness, idolatry, rebellion, and the list goes on. (laughs) It says the manufacturer, who is neither liable nor at fault for this defect, is providing factory-authorized repair and service free of charge to correct this sin defect. The repair technician, Lord Jesus, has most generally offered to bear the entire burden of the staggering cost of these repairs. There is no additional fee required. The number to call for repair in all areas is P-R-A-Y-E-R, called prayer. Once connected, please upload your burden of sin through the repentance procedure. Next, download forgiveness from the repair technician, Lord Jesus, into the heart component. No matter how big or small the sin defect is, Lord Jesus will replace it with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, how good is that? (laughs) It says, please see the operating manual, the Holy Bible, for further details on the use of these fixes. As an additional upgrade, the manufacturer has made available to all repaired units a facility enabling direct monitoring and assistance from a resident maintenance technician called Holy Spirit. Repaired units need only make him welcome and he will take a permanent residence on the premises. Warning, continuing to operate the human being unit without correction voids the manufacturer's warranty exposing the units to dangers and problems too numerous to list and will result in the human unit being permanently impounded for free emergency service, call on Jesus. (laughs) Finally, it says, it finishes off, it says, danger. The human being units not responding to this recall action will have to be scrapped in a furnace called H-E-L-L. The sin defect will not be uh, permitted to enter heaven so as to prevent contamination of that facility. Thank you for your attention. Please assist by notifying others 
of this important recall notice. <laughs> and we kind of laugh and I do it, it tickles me every time I read it, but I tell you this is absolutely serious. This is absolutely word for word, straight from the word of God, put into computer language to kind of describe to us what happens. Uh, children already born with this inborn same problem. You don't see it in the early days, but you leave the child to itself and you soon see it when they start answering back, when they want to lead their own lives and uh, so forth. And, you know, to become a Christian really means to give up uh, ultimate leadership of our own lives and to give it to Jesus Christ. That's what that means. Uh, but people want to have self-rule, and we see that in children, and it's good for them to, to grow up, you know, to have a sort of a sense of independence that, you know, you don't want to be sitting there spoon-feeding a 13-year-old for their breakfast. How do you know that they need to learn to feed themselves and all of these things? But ultimately, in terms of direction in our lives, we submit our lives to Jesus Christ. That's what this means. So, Dedicating the children to the Lord um, is kind of, it opens that door for God to get access into the life of that child. And that door is reinforced through teaching uh, and through training the children and discouraging bad behavior and encouraging good behavior. There's got to be some consequences for bad behavior and there should be rewards for good behavior. And in fact, life will reward us for good behavior. The Bible says whatever we sow is also what we're going to reap. And you know, life can be a pretty harsh taskmaster. If you get on the wrong side of life, it'll deal very harshly with people. But God has designed life in such a way that if we obey God and live according to his word, there will be a blessing, the blessing of God upon our lives. And things will work out well. That's not to say that there will not be challenges. There will be challenges, but God helps us to overcome these challenges here. Um, and so the whole point here that uh, as adults, we invite the blessing of God into our lives by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives and living according to his word. But young children, the very young, are not able to do that for themselves. So we dedicate them to the Lord and we ask God on their behalf to come into the life of this child. And here uh, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 40, there's another passage of Scripture that describes a uh, kind of a dedication service, if you like. This one happens to be in the life of uh, Jesus. When he was born, his parents brought him to the temple, which was typical for Jewish uh, boys to be brought, to be presented before the Lord uh, uh, on, the, on the sixth day or whatever the scenario was, and they would dedicate that child to the Lord. Notice what it says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and on into verse 52. It says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. You know, um, children grow up physically. They should grow up mentally, but most certainly they should grow up uh, spiritually. There's three parts to man. Uh, we are primarily a spirit. Because we've been created in the image and in the likeness of God. And God is a spirit, so therefore we are a spirit. And when we look at each other, we don't really see each other's spirit. All we see is each other's bodies. And if we get like right up close and look into people's eyes, the Bible says that the eyes are the window into the heart. The eyes are the window into the invisible part of us. And so the invisible part of us is called the spirit. Then we've got the whole capacity, the mental capacity. Uh, so we talk uh, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And of course, we could introduce uh, emotionally, socially, and various, others, uh, various other things in there. But primarily, there's three areas uh, that we are dealing with, that spirit, soul, and body. And it tells us here that children not only should grow up physically or mentally, uh, but they should also grow up spiritually. Uh, when we send our children to school, uh, it increases their mental capacity. They get education, learning how to read and write. And in fact, many kids already know how to read and write before they get to school, which is, you know, wonderful. And, and you know, it increases their, their mental capacity, but we must not ignore the spiritual capacity of a child. Uh, it speaks here of Jesus having grown uh, in wisdom. Wisdom is uh, the ability to apply knowledge. 
Wisdom is the ability to solve problems. Wisdom is the ability to take what we've learned over years and years and to apply it at the right time in the right setting. And uh, our children get taught some 12,000 hours of knowledge, but I would suggest that there's not necessarily a great deal of wisdom teaching in there. That comes back to the responsibility of the parents to teach the children wisdom. And you might say, well, where would I get it from? Well, you get it from life, uh, but you most especially get it from the Word of God. The Bible sp says that there's actually wisdom literature in there, uh, such as uh, the book called Proverbs, which is filled with wisdom. It's not just knowledge, but it tells us what to do and what not to do. The Bible speaks of certain outcomes of certain actions. So we get wisdom from the Word of God, and we instill that into the lives of children. Have you know that if you uh, children get up in the morning, give them breakfast, and already turning on the television is not going to necessarily make the child wise. It will fill them with knowledge. It will entertain them. Uh, but it's not good entertainment. And can I suggest that Hollywood is not a good parent? The film industry is not a good parent. Should not be used as a babysitter either. Did you know that in France, uh, country of France, in Europe, it has actually been outlawed to put children in front of the TV, kind of unsupervised, and just leave them to it uh, from age zero to whatever age uh, th three or whatever it is? Um, because even governments have figured out that a lot of television stupefies the kids uh, and fills them up with stuff so when you try to put something else in there they're already full you can't fill a cup that's already full and now children come like empty cups and the parents are the primarily the primary uh, kind of agent to input into the life of the child and then on when children grow up you know they go into children's church in our children's church facility we don't we, we don't just babysit kids they teach them the Word of God. They reinforce what you teach them in the home uh, as Christian parents. All right? Don't say, oh, we're going to give them to the, to the church and they will teach them. No, you teach them and children's church will reinforce what they taught. Then we've got youth facilities where the, the youth are getting taught the Word of God. And then, of course, uh, we got, yeah, so here we are. Here we are. When children grow up physically, and they will. So long as you feed them, they will just absolutely grow up. Um, it's just funny how Pastor Greg uh, was just here from South Africa. He's, he's got three boys, 18, 15, and 12 years of age. He says, when my boys start eating, uh, they don't stop when they're full. They stop when they're tired, he said. <laughs> I thought that was a funny comment. So, you know, just keep on putting food into kids' mouth. Uh, they, 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 will, they will kind of grow physically. Um, and when we send them to school and, you know, ourselves, we teach them things, good, teach the kids already from a young age, you know, counting and just various other things that are kind of uh, already sort of developing their, their mental capacity, academic capacity. They will grow mentally, but we have to put the Word of God in there to grow them spiritually. I don't know why for the last 40, 50, uh, however many years, there's been such a rush of the West to go into the East in places uh, where, you know, like, say, India and various other eastern countries, what we might call the east or the far east, to go and learn religion over there. Just look at the countries and work out which country would be a good country to grow up in and which country is well advanced. Religion holds countries and populations down. Christianity lifts people up. I'm suggesting to you that every decent uh, uh, invention that has been made, uh, every decent advance of any society comes out of the Judeo-Christian uh, mindset and teaching because God wants, children, uh, wants people to be lifted up and to have a good functioning society, have a good judicial system, a good uh, system of law and order with uh, army and with police force and, uh, and having good e economy and, 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 and good health system, good everything. Praise God. Buddha didn't come to die for people. He died for himself. Reincarnation is a lie. Jesus Christ came to die for people and to take the staggering burden of sin upon himself as a sinless sacrifice so that you and I can receive forgiveness of sins and ultimately go to heaven.
blessing of God can be seen on people's lives. And the lack of the blessing of God can be seen on people's lives as well. The blessing of God can be seen when things go mostly well for people without trying any harder than others. Doesn't exempt them from problems. But you know, just in wisdom, we make adjustment. A lot, a lot of problems in people's lives are self-inflicted. We make good decisions today, we will get a good outcome tomorrow. We can't predict every little thing that happens in our lives in terms of, you know, as we go along, there will be challenges along the way, but a lot of the major issues down the track we can avoid by making good decisions back here already. And that point is to train children. They have no idea of what their outcome could possibly look like when they get to 30, 40, 50, 60 years of life. They have no idea. They've never been there. But us as parents, <laughs> we've been to some of those uh, waypoints along the way and we tell them in regards to how they should act and things that they should do and things that they should not do in order to get a good outcome in their lives. The absence of the blessing of God can also be seen. Uh, it was most certainly seen in the Duke's family. What a terrible outcome of a whole family tree being really quite messed up. It is not impossible to retrieve situations and to take criminals and to take people, even from the gutter as it were, if they surrender their life to Jesus, that God will lift them up and put them into a good life. The Bible says that God is the glory and he's the lifter of our head. God lifts people up. But if people just box on, as it were, without God, and some people's lives goes reasonably well, they've had a good upbringing and praise God for that, but I suggest to you a lot of the things that they would have learned comes from the Christian Judeo mindset and worldview, which will determine a reasonably good outcome. But the Bible says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet still loses his own soul? That's why it is important to lead children to the Lord at a young age, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Very quickly now, there's an example of someone pronouncing a blessing over people's lives. Back in the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, uh, God is speaking to Moses to instruct the priests of the day in regards to how to bless the people. And we're about to call these families up whose children will be dedicated, and there will be a certain blessing pronounced over these families, over these children. And you might say, where do we get that from? Well, here it is. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel, say to them, just an interesting point that we bless people and children by what we say. And we also curse people by what we say. So we need to be very circumspect in regards to what we say over our children and what we don't say over our children because our words have tremendous power. You know, they say that sticks and, sticks and stones, uh, uh, what's the word? Break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think pretty much everybody in here can think of words that were spoken to you by some authority figure in your life, by somebody, and some of them are hurting you to this day. Uh, which, of course, there is a solution to that. But uh, words are very powerful. So we speak words, and God instructed uh, uh, the, the priests of the day to say certain words. He says, say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. And that's what we're doing here this morning. We're going to rip open a door uh, in the lives of these children for God to be able to flow into their lives and to be able to put God's name on the lives of these children by speaking over them, for God's face to shine upon them uh, and his countenance to be towards them and to give them peace. And so today, that's exactly what we are doing. Uh, I will be praying these very words uh, over the families very shortly. Then I would like to take one whole psalm uh, out of the word of God and to pronounce them over the children uh, and over these families, and in fact, once the words are spoken, and if you have not been uh, dedicated to the Lord as a child yourself, you'll just grab that for yourself, because really, as my voice goes through it, I'm just simply speaking about the Word of God. The Word of God will work for anybody that says, me too. You know, sometimes we, we pray, and then we say, amen, and, uh, and uh, we say, what does this, this amen, what does this amen mean? Well, it means, so be it. 
uh, that's what it means. So be it. And it really means so be it in my life too. So one person might pray and everybody says amen. We're saying we're agreeing with that and let it be like that in my life too and in the lives of my family. And so you just grab something this morning. Uh, specifically, we're praying over the children, over the parents, but you can catch the overflow. God doesn't say, I'm going to draw a line here, and when Psalm 91 is prayed over this children, it'll only go as far as barely the front row. No, it'll go all the way down into the back row. Everybody can grab that. I'm a living testimony of the protection of God on my life. I've never broken a bone in my body ever. I've had, never had any major accidents. I've been in some major scenarios that could have had a deadly outcome. I don't know how many times. Just unbelievable, but just a hand of God on my life because I've had a praying mother and a praying grandmother, and uh, it just makes all the difference. And so when we speak uh, these words over the children's lives, let's release our faith. We're not just speaking words. There is power that is released here this morning as we are speaking these words. couple of points that are important to understand. Child dedication in itself does not constitute salvation for the child. Uh, children have to give their own life to Jesus Christ um, as they grow up. And at a certain point, when they come to the age of accountability and so forth, that they make that decision. Um, from our experience, there is no child... Uh, that is taught the things of God from the Bible, from the Word of God, at, at a certain stage in their life that would say no. They will absolutely, if they trust their parents and trust they've been brought up in a reasonably, you know, without abuse and everything, they will trust parents and they will do exactly what we put before them. And that's how God has designed it. All right. In fact, we're just reworking... Uh, uh, different aspects of our children's church and our youth ministry, I think it would be an absolute tragedy if children are sent to children's church, they're not getting taught at home, uh, and they get taught different things through children's church. They come out the other side, they might even go into youth ministry and come into their early 20s and never got born again. What a tragedy that would be, and what a failure that would be on our part as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that salvation is primary in the lives of these children. So it does not constitute salvation. And secondly, child dedication is not christening the child. We don't christen children because in my mind, I've searched the scriptures from the book of Genesis to Revelation, and we have no biblical mandate to christen children. It seems to me that that is more of a cultural thing rather than a, 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 a biblical thing. And so we dedicate the children. So very quickly now, uh, as I get ready to call these families to come forward, number one, we acknowledge that children are a gift from the Lord. Number two, we give them back to the Lord and declare that it is our will for the children to live um, their lives according to God's plan and according to God's purposes. Thirdly, we take responsibility for bringing up the child according to God's word rather than according to worldly philosophies. And then finally, point number four, we ask, for God's protection, for his blessing, and for his favor on the lives of the children all the days of their lives.